my privilege to be a pastor here and also a youth worker at Cambridge High School. One of the games that we love to run <coughs> with young people is a game called uh, Melting Marshmallows. How Melting Marshmallows works is you take small squares, something like this, maybe a bit of cardboard. Um, back in my younger days, um, my youth leaders used like tires normally was kind of what we used for this. But the idea was is you had to cross a certain span of space without touching the ground, right? And so you'd give them these squares that they could use. And so they would throw them on, and normally you'd go, okay, there's five of you, I'm gonna give you three or four squares, a little bit of a challenge kind of thing, you know, the object, get across the other side, and you drop, drop, the, drop the marshmallow in the uh, hot chocolate, as, uh, as a previous youth worker, Warwick Pruill, would always say, that's kind of the concept. Now, the tricky thing with it, though, with the way we run it is, as soon as no one's touching that marshmallow, the hot chocolate gobbles it up, okay? So that means it's gone. So it means that when they go about crossing the hot, said hot chocolate or the said space, they actually have to keep their leg or their foot or their hand or something on that marshmallow at all times. Now that seems pretty easy until, you know, the first person's walking out and then it's the last person and then they've got to get across. Now the problem that we found, well not the problem, the interesting thing we found working with young boys, we did this the other day on Thursday, is how one of them's like, yeah, sweet as, and just starts going. And then all of a sudden it's like, nah, last person's left, got to take those squares away. All right, start again, try again. Okay, as they keep moving, and then they get distracted, they're holding each other's hands and stuff, and you know how teenage boys get, they get a little bit distracted, and they start pushing each other, and they fall off. All right, start again, all good. We stopped them, and there were four boys, and we gave them four carpet squares, which is actually a bit of a, you know, a bit of a helping hand, really. They should be able to do it with three. And I said to him, okay, this is your last chance. If you guys can cross without failing whatsoever, we're going to buy you guys KFC at group next week, okay? All right. Give the boys a little bit of laser focus, okay? It's good, right? Who thinks, you know, food? Good way to laser focus teenage boys? Yep, a few parents nodding their heads out there. KFC's a really good incentive. So we set them out on the task. Now, they were actually had sort of figured it out and were starting to work together quite well as a team. And... Um, me, uh, Joel Bartram and Jackson Stanley were three youth workers working with these boys. We thought, well, it's, you know, they're starting to get there. It's pretty easy. And um, one of the things that we found that boys also really love is just like a rugby ball or something. And the whole time we were playing this game, they keep going, yeah, yeah, throw us the ball, throw us the ball. We're like, cool. So we started throwing them the ball. Catch it, throw, catch it, cool. Then what we'd do is we'd lob it up a little bit higher, right, just to see if it would make them topple over. They were almost at the end, two of the boys had already crossed over the finish line, and as they were about to finish, I decided I'd just roll the ball along the ground, just out of reach, just interested to see what happens. Well, what happened was one of the boys stops and tries to reach out, and the other one steps off, and now all of a sudden the boy's left with one marshmallow because all the other boys had stepped off the other ones because he got distracted by that very thing that was in front of him. Now he managed to kind of put his feet together and hop on it, and they crossed the finish line, and they got their KFC. But could you imagine how devastated his friends would have been had he had fallen off, had he had made a mistake, and therefore they had lost KFC over a rugby ball? And I said that to the boys afterwards. I said, you guys nearly cost yourself a free feed next week because you were distracted by a rugby ball. I said, what's better, the rugby ball or the KFC? Now, all bar one of them said KFC. And the other one, he's a bit special. We love him to pieces. And he was probably just being a little bit cheeky. You and I face the same task, actually, in life. You see, God has laid out for us a really clear path and plan for his will in our life. 
He has set promises that are for us in our future. And how often is it as we are walking and yes, life is challenging and life is hard, we get distracted. And in those distractions, we can start to veer off the path and the course that God has laid out for us. You see, I think John understood this. You know, as we're going through the series on walking in the light, one of the things about the darkness is it's actually quite appealing. Unfortunately, it is. And so John wants us this morning, and I think this is where, this is where we're going to be looking, is John wants us to walk with resolve. Walk with focus. We're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. You see, we don't have much time this morning, and that's fine, because we don't need much time in this passage. You see, already this morning, as you've been reflecting on those questions, sitting in a bit of silence and singing praises to God, God has already been speaking to us in this way. And I'm not here to take God's place in doing so. But we're going to focus in on these few verses and understand how John wants us to not get distracted on the path that God has laid out for us. That we are going to walk with resolve, and even when things come our way, we will not be distracted by it to a point that we might miss out on our beautiful future. John, 5, uh, John, uh, 1 John 2, 15-17 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with all its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Just a couple of short verses with so much power and so much depth, and to be honest, we could talk all day long about it, but I don't think we really need to. You see, John is laying out for us the things that are going to distract us and turn us away from doing God's will in our life. And he lays them out really clear for us. He says, all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride in possessions. We're going to look at that pride in possessions one in a little bit. But see how it's about the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes. It's the things that we crave for. It's the things that we see. We go through a series of youth group on, at the moment. We do not walk by faith, uh, sight, but we walk by faith. You see, our eyes can be deceiving. Because when we look at the things around us, at the world around us, the world is going to tell us or show us what it thinks is important in this world. And if we are constantly looking to the world for truth, for meaning, for purpose, for identity, for love, then we will find it in those things that are not from the Father. You see, we will crave wealth beyond more than we could ever comprehend. That is not from the Father. That doesn't mean we work hard, because when we work hard for the Father, He rewards us, and He gives us great things that we can give and bless onto others. I'm always cautious, and I do want to say this, when I stand up here and talk about money, for this very reason, there are people in this church who will give away more money to God's work in this kingdom than I will ever make in my life. All right? So, it's okay to make money. It's not what I'm saying. But when our identity, when our love, when our passions and desires are wrapped up in those things... It can become a distraction to us. Those things that crave us in the flesh, 
the things of our heart that are not of God, that the world is going, just take it. Right? Over the years, we've seen the word sin changed in our culture. Sin used to be a word that meant you did something wrong and you broke something, you broke God's laws. Now sin is having that bit of chocolate when you know you shouldn't. Right? Chasing after that man or that girl that, you know, probably isn't right for you. It's a little bit sinful, but it's okay. The world has changed what that word means. And it's actually saying to you, it's okay to follow some of those fleshly desires. Just chase after them. It'll reward you. It'll be fine. Because what the world shows us, what we see with our eyes, is that other people are rewarded for it. They seem to have a fulfilling life. They seem to have all that we might want in this world. There's another translation that I just want to touch on for this verse 16. It says, All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, but it changes this phrase here, and the arrogance, arrogance produced by material possessions. You see, in the Greek, when we look at that phrase, pride in possessions, or that, how that's translated up there, it's, it's a little bit tricky. There's two ways to understand it. It could be like that all that's in the world, pride in possessions. So you and I taking pride in the possessions that we have and bragging about them and, and being extravagant about all the cool things that we have in this world. That's one way that we can interpret what it's saying. But I really like the way that NET has translated it here because what it's saying is it's not necessarily us having pride in our possessions. It's the pride that is produced by material possessions. And I think we can all understand how this happens naturally in our life. That when we get something new, we kind of want to show it off a little bit. And we get a little bit prideful of it, right? Oh, have you seen my phone? It does this really cool new trick. Have you seen my car? It's got all these cool new fancy things. And it's, it's okay to have new things. Again, not talking down about that. But what we have to be careful is that the things in this world, the possessions that the world says are important to us, naturally produces pride in our hearts. And John here is saying to us that that is not from the Father. You see, as we're on that path, as we're walking in the light, our eyes start to be distracted, to look out into the darkness, to see some fancy things and think, oh, if I had that, that would be quite nice. And I have it and I buy it for really practical reasons and I justify it financially and I do all those things for it. But I kind of like the way people look at me when I drive around in that or wear those clothes, or I go on that holiday. I kind of like what it means for my status with people. Again, in and of themselves, these things are not wrong. But the way the NET is translating it and their commentators are saying is that actually what we need to be careful of in this world is that material possessions will, pro uh, will produce a proud arrogance. You see, it's just a very simple warning. Be careful of the things you put your identity in. Be careful of the things that you surround yourself with because it might be making you proud and arrogant. Those things are not from the Father, but it is from the world. You know, it's interesting, as I was reading these few verses um, over the last couple of weeks, it says, do not love the world. And we could, we could talk for a long time about that, but one thing that caught my mind a little bit was, well, John 3.16 says that God so loved the world. And I thought, oh, it's probably different. You know, there's this, that whole concept of five different words for love in the Greek Bible or all those kind of things. Nope. Agape. 
Agape to cosmos. Love the world. Same. Same phrase. So why does God get to love the world? But we don't get to love the world. Interesting, isn't it? We don't have time today. You can think about that. Um, Or you can come talk to me about it afterwards if you want to. But if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see, when you start to think about what the love for the world produces in us, lustfulness, pride, arrogance, it's even changing us to a way of being violent people. Talking about this with people over the last little while about what social media is doing to us. And I think, I wasn't actually here last Sunday, but Jeremy spoke a little bit about this, I think. The way the world is shaping us to kind of vilify people on the other side. When we love the things of this world, it shapes us in a way that is not from the Father. You see, if I love the things of the world, it means the love of the Father is not in me. Maybe right now, as I share about these things, you're sitting there going, yeah, actually, you know what? I'm, I'm really loving the world right now. What's the antidote to that? You see, normally, <clears throat> as preachers, we stand here and the antidote is, is more, more biblical knowledge, to know more things about God. Come to church more, to pray more, to do all these things. All really good things. He's saying the opposite of loving the world is the love of the Father. You see, one of the reasons this morning that we've scattered those questions and reflection time through is to allow you to pause and spend some time with your Father. You see, I could preach for 30 minutes on this passage and you'll walk away having spent no more time with your Father. The love of the world is a love that is yuck and distracted and fast and it's busy and it's focusing on all the wrong things. And John is wanting us to center our lives again on the love of the Father. When was the last time you sat with him? I've been growing up in my church, my, I've grown up in church my whole life. And for the longest time, I firmly believed that all I needed to do was to know more things about the Bible, more knowledge, that that was what I needed to have in order to eliminate sin from my life. If you want the love for the world to decrease, our love for the Father must increase. Yes, knowledge is a huge part of that. But I grew out of knowing things about my wife a long time ago. Does my love for her decrease? No. Do I stop loving her more? No. Because we experience life together. We spend time together. I know pretty much all there is to know about my wife. She might have some deep, dark secrets probably. But I know they're all, all there is to know. But my love increases nonetheless. Maybe you sit here today full with knowledge about who God is. But your love for the Father is not overly evident. Because you're pursuing a knowledge of God. The Bible says that we are rather to be known by God. That knowledge is an experiential, relational knowledge. See, it's one thing to read that God shows up for Daniel in the lion's den. It's another thing to trust God in the lion's den of your life and workplace and school and watch him show up. It's one thing to know that Jesus walked on water, healed the lame, brought sight to the blind. 
but it's another thing to share the gospel with your friends and family and see God work in that way. Knowledge of the Bible is a really good thing. But to know your Father, to see Him act, and to transform lives with the people around you, man, our love for the world will decrease so drastically in that way. We're going to pause here because I want you to reflect on that. When you take 30 seconds, what is it about the world at the moment that is really appealing to you? What is it? Is your eyes attracted to something? Is your flesh and lust attracted to something? Are you real proud and arrogant about something you possess? What is that? Just take 30 seconds and then I'm going to read a prayer of confession, an opportunity for us to confess our sins before God. O Lord, open our minds to see ourselves as you see us. And from all unwillingness to know our weakness and our sin, God, Lord, deliver us. From selfishness, from wishing to be the center of attention, from seeking admiration, from the desire to have our own way in all things, from unwillingness to listen to others, from resentment of criticism, good Lord, deliver us. From love of power, from jealousy, from taking pleasure in the weakness of others, good Lord, deliver us. From the weakness of indecision, from fear of adventure, from constant fear of what others are thinking of us, from fear of speaking what we know is truth and doing what we know is right, good Lord, deliver us. From possessiveness about material things and people, from carelessness about the needs of others, from selfish use of time and money, from lack of all generosity, good Lord, deliver us from laziness of conscience, from lack of self-discipline, from failure to persevere, from depression and failure and disappointment, good Lord, deliver us. From failure to be truthful, from pretense and acting apart, from hypocrisy, from all dishonesty with ourselves and with others, good Lord, deliver us. From impurity in word and thought and in action, from failure to respect the bodies and minds of ourselves and others, from any kind of addiction, good Lord, deliver us from hatred and anger, from sarcasm, from lack of sensitivity and division in our community, from all failure to love and forgive, good Lord, deliver us. From failure to see our sin as an affront to God, from failure to accept the forgiveness of others, good Lord, deliver us. We need to be well aware of what the world is doing in our lives, otherwise we will run the risk of being distracted and being taken away from walking in the light. There's a reason that God doesn't want us to love the things in this world. It says in verse 17 that the world is passing away with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. You see, the things of God are the things that will remain for all eternity. The things of this world are things that are transient and are passing away. Jesus said it that you are, if you're going to obey what he said, it's like building your life and your house on his rock. But if we do not... It's like building a house on a sand. It is destined to fall and to fail. 
when the waves and the storms of life come. It's passing away. It's transient. It's here one day and gone the next. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This was an interesting one, actually, having a quick look through the um, New Testament of where the will of God shows up. It doesn't actually show up that many times, to be funny. There's about 12 times in the New Testament that the will of God, uh, phrase will of God, actually appears. And here's a few of them. A few of them were related to, you know, Paul, I write to you, that's the will of God kind of thing. If we want to do the will of God, which can often be a bit of a controversial thing to talk about. I know with a lot of our young people, they're kind of trying to seek for good reason. What is God's will for my life? What career, what university, all those kind of things to do. Really good questions to ask, really good things to spend time with God praying and talking about. But when we look through the New Testament, the New Testament idea of the will of God in our life is much simpler. You see, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, to do the will of God is to just do good so that you'll silence the foolish talk or the talk of foolish people. And what Peter was talking about there was that people were criticizing people in the church. And he said, well, just go and do good, and so when they criticize, they'll look like an idiot, is kind of what Peter was talking about. So we go out of our way to do good in the world in which we live, so that way the world has no leg to stand on when it criticizes us. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3 says that it is God's will for you and I to be sanctified. That word sanctified means to become more like Christ, to do away with the sinful flesh and those desires and the prides of possession, all those things, to put away with those things and to become more like the God that we serve. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I would encourage you to go home and have a read about the things that it is asking us to give up in order to take on. Again, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says that we are to rejoice always, Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. So when you wake up daily and you're trying to figure out what is it that I need to do? What is God's will for me in my life? Rejoice always. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. When I go to school or when I go to work and I don't know what I'm, going, uh, what I'm supposed to do, what is God's will for me today? Go and do good. When I'm sitting there and I'm tempted to think evil thoughts, to do evil things or to, to be called away from God and I go, what is God's will in my life? It is to be sanctified. It is put to death on the cross those things that God has said is not good for us. Why is it that we do God's will instead of loving the world? Jesus says that I have overcome the world. If the one that we follow has overcome the world, then it is not for us to walk in the filth of the world and love the things that are of this world. Because that is not what God has called us to. Maybe you're still trying to figure out, well, outside of that things, how do I discern what God's will is for my life? Well, Romans 12, 2 paints a really simple picture for us. We do not conform to the patterns of this world. We do not fall in line with what other people are saying we should do and think and the way that we should act. But we're transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you know that there is some new research coming out about the way that our brains work? People that pray 10 to 15 minutes a day are literally changing the brain structure for the good, just FYI, not the bad. So you think about all the bad things in this world that are reshaping our brain, technology, sugar addictions, all those kind of things that are going on. Prayer can literally undo that work. When we spend time with the Father in silence and reflection, when we seek Him through His Word and through prayer, 
when we seek to renew our mind through sharpening our lives by being in community with other believers, our minds can be renewed. Then you will be able to approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You want to know how to discern God's will in your life? Renew your mind. Renew our minds. When we spend all day on social media, watching TV, reading through the news of the day, all those things become a distraction to us. They're shaping our brains to fear what is out there in the world. Social media is designed that every now and then an ad pops up and I go, oh, I should probably buy that. I think I need that. Got a good video that shows me why I need that. My brain is being formed in a way that I should consume everything that is around me. When we do God's will, we will abide forever. The NET version, which is what I used for the verse before, um, uses the phrase remain. The word there, abide and remain, they use the word remain because they think it gives greater weight to what John is trying to say to us in this passage. That in comparison to the fleetingness of this world, we have an opportunity to remain forever. You know, at the end of the day, a lot of us desire to leave a legacy in some way, shape, or form. Either through our business, maybe through our name. Nowadays, everyone's got their own podcast and all those kind of things that probably, I guess, will remain forever now unless, you know, some form of technical apocalypse comes. Maybe it's through your family. You want to leave a strong legacy of your family. There's only one thing that remains forever. And that is when we abide in God and we do His will. As we close, let's have another short prayer to close our time and then the band is going to be coming up. Father, send out your light and your truth that I may live always near to you, my God. Let me feel your love that I may be as it were already in heaven, that I may do my work as the angels do theirs. And let me be ready for every work, ready to go out or go in, to stay or depart just as you direct. Lord, let me have no fill of my own or consider my true happiness as depending in the smallest degree on anything that happens to me outwardly but as consisting totally in conformity to your will. We entrust you with our lives, Father. Amen.